You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you are here with us um, from Florida, we want to welcome you. And um, it's, a, it's a treat to have you with us. I, we hate the circumstances for you, but we are really delighted you're here with us today. And uh, thank you for all for coming. Um, I wanted to say this too. I want to, I, I, uh, before the service, I am perched up here and I can see everything. And I want to just thank all our students. I just keep so many students that are walking in from far away. And I want to thank you guys for parking farther out. I know next week's going to be a home game, so it's going to be a pretty full in here. And I, I want to thank you all for doing that. I encourage you to continue to do that, just to serve our um, families with children and um, us older people that a um, one, one block walk is a little bit of an experience. So we, um, we want to thank you for doing that. Um, we have been, uh, we, last week we started a series, we're going to do it just three weeks, and we are calling this series Christ Nuanced. And here's kind of the thinking behind this series and why we called it that. We know that Jesus was God Nuanced. He was the eternal and infinite and invisible God becoming, and in, he's entering a, uh, a limited, finite and material world. That's who he was. He was God nuanced to, to come about and, and be with us. And we understand that as he left, the church is Christ nuanced. Just as Jesus came and he was the truth of God and he was fulfilled the purposes of God and he was the very presence of God, the church with him gone is the truth of Christ, the purposes of Christ being fulfilled, and the presence of Christ in the earth. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about the church generically being those three things. And last week we looked at the idea of the church uh, supporting the truth. There's a verse in Timothy where Paul says the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. And he read a, a old hymn they had about um, Christ. And he was saying this is what we stand on. And back in the, the ancient days when they built a city, any city where the, the emperor, whoever built it, they would start the city by laying sort of a founding stone. And it was just a, a large flat stone or, or a, it could be a cut out piece of marble. And on it, they would carve out uh, what the city was about, either a slogan it would, or, a, or a memorial event that began the city or something that basically said, this is what this city stands for. And the idea, and then they would, they would, on that stone, around that stone, they would build pillars and they would build sort of a columned uh, covering to sort of, you know, memorialize that stone. And that stone would stand in the middle of the city as a testimony to what that city was about. And as that city grew and as that city expanded and as that ex city experienced a history of protecting itself and, and, and all kinds of things, 
it would have in its very center a memorial of what it was about. So it didn't get lost in expansion, didn't get lost in all the turmoil of life. This is why this city exists. And so Paul talks about the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. And in that passage, he talks about the Christ event. And as you read that book, he talks about different theological truths that the church is founded on. And we highlighted uh, a couple things. One is we articulate that this is who Jesus is. And this is what Christianity believes. As simply and clearly as possible, we believe Jesus Christ is the God of Israel becoming an authentic human being to bring about the salvation he promised in the Old Testament. That is who Jesus is. The God of Israel becoming an authentic, genuine human being. And he did this in order to bring about the salvation that was promised in the Old Testament. And we have five truths that are pillars around that confession. And we talked about how these were five truths that emerged from the Protestant Reformation. And they are distinguished by the Latin word sola, which means alone. And, and those five are this. We believe Christ alone. We believe Christ alone is the mediator between God and man. We believe salvation is by grace alone. And it is through faith alone. It's one of the most troubling things you'll see in Christianity today is when somebody compromises slightly one of those two. Uh, the book of Galatians was written about a heresy and an error going on in the early church where they were slightly compromising by grace alone and through faith alone. And if you read that letter, <coughs> Paul is like abusive to the people that are bringing this heresy in. Uh, he, he cuts them no slack. And so we, we, we understand that. And, and always be careful about that because you're going to find someone who's going to tell you salvation is, yes, it's by grace, it's a gift, it's received by faith, but there's a, you got to do something. It's a little bit of a reward. It's not just a total gift. It's a little bit of a reward. You still, you got to do this. And that's, that's not what we believe. Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. We believe Scripture alone is the authority in our lives. That's the fourth one. And the fifth thing is we believe what's called solo de glory. It means for glory alone. It means that our life and our compass as followers of Jesus, as Christians, is God's glory. Whether we're making moral decisions or ethical decisions or whatever kind of decisions we're making in our lives, the compass we have is for the glory of God. We do things just to glorify Him. That's our why. So those are the five things that our church and Christianity is founded on that confession of who Jesus is and then those five truths that emerge from it and and that's a that's the truth we stand for the church is the pillar and support of the truth and there's another uh, word Paul uses and all new, other New Testament writers like Peter use to describe the church and it is called the body of Christ has anybody ever heard that before the church is called the body of Christ the body of Christ and if you, if you go through the Bible, you'll see there's several places where Paul talks about this and Peter talks about this. But there's basically three different focuses of this title and this language, the body of Christ. And, and the number one thing that the body of Christ means is that all of us as Christians 
have a common unifying experience. Every one of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and He is our Lord, and we are believers, we are Christians, we are His people. The Bible called us saints. We, we have a common unifying experience. And when, when Peter writes about this in 1 Peter, he talks about how you and I, and he, he uses a couple words to describe us, and he gets them from the Old Testament and from how the Jewish people understood them and, uh, as Israelites, but he says, you are a chosen race, and you are a holy nation, a chosen race and a holy nation. The, and, and Peter's writing to a body of Christians that are Gentile and Jew, and there's all kind of different racial mix there. But he's telling this really mixed, diverse group of people, you are a chosen special race. Now, when someone is a different race than you, you are the race you are because in you is a certain DNA. Something is in you that affects you. Is that correct? Physically, that's what makes you the race you are. Something in you, there's a gene or something. I don't know much about it, but I know what it does. It makes people different races and different whatever. And what Peter and Paul and all the New Testament writers are, are trying to communicate in that language is, as a Christian, something has happened to you that distinguishes you, that makes you different. You all, as Christians, just like somebody of the same race has a common uh, inherited trait you have something common that is common to every one of you you are a chosen race a distinct race and he says you are a holy nation now as a nation i assume most of us are americans here um, as a nation we all have a common history and things that mean something to us you know we have in our history the pilgrims landing on plymouth rock that was a, something we all have in common is these people seeking religious freedom, uh, journeying out and trusting God, and they land in Plymouth Rock. You know, our revolution is something we all have in common. That's a common history. Uh, the Civil War, which was uh, fought to uh, free slavery and, and, and really enforce our values in a deeper way, we all have in common. And other things, other things, the, the civil rights movement, the landing on the moon, um, having the best Olympic team around every four years. You know, what, we, we have this in common. We have a shared history and a shared experience as Americans. And as Christians, we have a shared history. You know, there's events when, you know, I, I, the, 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 somebody else's, another nation's new year doesn't matter to me. The founding of their country, I, I just, I'm like, w wonderful. I, I, I'm glad you, you, you began. But it's not a big deal to me. Our July 4th is a big deal to me. And, and that's, that's kind of how we are as nation. We have common experiences as a church. You know, Christ's death, the event of Christ. Experiences and things in the Old Testament, the early church history, these are things that matter to us, that make us who we are and what we are today. We have a common history. You know, um, I uh, graduated from the University of Georgia. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, uh, it, it's not as great an accomplishment 40 years ago as it was today, trust me. But uh, anyways, but I did, I did go there and graduate. 
And, uh, and both my boys are, uh, one has, one's on the way. And so we're, we're, I'm Georgia people, and I am part of what we call the Bulldog Nation. Everybody here know what the Bulldog Nation is? You feel me out there, the Bulldog Nation? And, and the Bulldog Nation, we all have common experiences, don't we? A lot of you weren't born, but we, after yesterday's game, you've heard the legend of Herschel Walker and the Sugar Bowl victory over Notre Dame. You know, we all have common experiences. We are the Bulldog Nation. We, there are certain things that just shape, and we have certain preferences. We, we love our team, and we, we do certain things. Like last night, I was watching the game, and you could hear UGA being screamed, and you just thought, that, that's our, that's, the nation is there. You know, we're there. We are, we are a nation. We are a people. And this is what uh, the New Testament is trying to enforce to people that are believers back then 2,000 years ago and to us today. We are a very diverse group. We have different nationalities, we have different social standings, we have different experiences, we have different histories, but he's saying that in Christ, we are united. We have a united common experience. We have experienced salvation by grace through faith. The one true God became a human being 2,000 years ago after promising salvation to the Jewish people for, for hundreds of years, he came and brought it about. And we are experiencing that great thing. We all had this common experience. And we all believe it is the single most important thing that has happened in our life and can happen in a human being. That's where we start from. We have this unifying common experience. And as Paul unpacks this, it's really cool how he talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Let me show you this, this really cool verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says this, now you are the body of Christ, and each of you are part of it. You, he doesn't say you're sort of like the body, he says you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you are part of it. And he talks about different attitudes that were going on in that particular church in Corinth <coughs> where they were separating themselves and not connecting. They had a lot of social differences between the rich and the poor. And he's saying, look, you are collectively, you are the body of Christ. Each of you are part of it. And he says two things. One thing we can't say is that you can't say, if you're a hand, I don't belong because I'm not a foot. He's saying, you can't do that. And he's saying, he's telling those believers there, and a lot of them probably felt sort of dissonant socially. He's saying, you belong. You're part. You matter. You're a part of the body. And you're just as important as any other part. You belong. And then he tells other people, he says, you can't say, if you're the eye, I don't need a hand. You know, you, you and I, we can't say we don't need people. We don't need others. Somebody's just not cool with me, so they're just not as important. Or they're not, he says, no, no, we don't, we, don't, we don't do that. Each of you are part. You can't say, don't say I don't belong. And don't say you're not important. That's a really beautiful verse as Paul goes on to unpack this. He says, you know, a lot of times those that are the most uh, weakest are the most indispensable. That's true in your body, and it's true in the church. 
Sometimes the weakest are the most indispensable. You know, a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to, to uh, uh, drive one of our church members home, and he had, he had become a Christian about a year and a half ago. Had a real tough background, experience with drugs, and was homeless and things. And one of our church members owns a boutique downtown, Epiphany. Give a shout out to Epiphany. Great women's store, yes. And uh, she met him and began to reach out to him. And, and through that relationship, he came to Christ, came to our church. And uh, it was getting kind of bad weather. And he asked me for a ride home. And I said, sure, I'll drive you home. And just, you know, whatever, drove. And I drove home and he was driving. We were going down the east side of town. We went all the way to where Walmart was. And he pointed to me and said, that's where I catch the bus, Pastor. I said, oh, so you catch the bus every Sunday morning. He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, well, let me drive you to your home. Where's your home? He says, oh, it's this way. We drove, we drove three miles. We drove three miles. And he took me to his home, and I was like, so every Sunday morning, you get up, and you walk three miles to the bus stop, and then you take the bus to our church. And then after church, you take the bus back to Walmart, and then you walk three more miles back home. Now, I want to tell you this. I have a lot, uh, I've, I am so proud of a lot of our, I mean, we have church members that have been star football players. I mean, SEC Player of the Weeks, great thing. That have won, great athletes, great athletic achievements in track and baseball and other sports we have distinguished business people and I don't know that I've ever been more proud of a church member in my life I never felt I'd met anybody so indispensable to our church as that wonderful man who every week walks three miles to a bus stop and takes a bus to our church Gets here early to help out, and then goes back. And what Paul is saying is there, there's an attitude, there's a union that needs to exist in the body of Christ. And no matter who you are, no matter how distant you may, you belong. Oh, you belong. We have need of you. And the other attitude is, and no one can have the attitude. We're just putting up with you. Oh, we don't need you. That just can't happen. In fact, the weak are a lot of times the most indispensable. We have a common experience, common uniting experience. And that means more to us than anything else about us. Your social status, your background, whatever it is, our common uniting experience in Christ means more to us than anything else. And that's what makes the body of Christ work. It makes the church really become Christ-nuanced in, in our day and in our place. Now, here's the second thing that, that it is. We, we, we need common uniting experience, and we need, we need continual uniting experiences. And I want to read this passage to you in Romans 12 about the church. And in verse 3, Paul writes, and he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. With sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophecy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is your teaching, then teach. If it is encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And again, Paul is talking here about how it's important that we as the body of Christ have consistent experiences together that unite us, that we meet together and we function together as a church body. And he talks about different things we can, we can do at church. But he, he, just, he just says this, we need to be a united group. And again, he emphasizes this fact, that in a church, diversity is almost more important than uniformity. Being diverse and being different and bringing something distinct to the table is more impactful than just hanging out with people like you all the time, that think like you, that are from your background. I remember when we first started the church, I'll never forget, this is one of the most important things that ever happened in my life. We were a church, in our first year, when I say a church of college students, you think we're a church of college students now. We were not a church of college. We were literally 90% college students. And I'm being generous. I don't know if we were 90. We may, have been, we may not have had 10% non-students in the church. We were packed into this elementary school, Alpstrode Elementary School cafeteria. And it had this tile floor and it had cinder block walls in third grade art all over the place. And we sat in blue cafeteria chairs. And it was just students and we would just worship and it would just preach and we'd do communion. And I think there were four or five adults in the church and they were all served communion every week because I just thought well like you know I just thought that was what I had to do what I could you know um and some of you were there will remember and I remember my dear friends uh, Bob and Betsy Wickline here uh came to visit the church the fall and I I thought you know I thought oh these, these are friends of ours we had lived in Athens and had moved away to Atlanta for nine years and moved back and I thought oh, this is kind of a mercy visit from old friends, and I thank you for showing up. And, um, and that day, I'll never forget this Sunday, because, you know, we had a tremendous worship leader, Paul, he's fantastic, and we did this sort of cool, it was kind of an acoustic, because, you know, it's the room. Well, this day, this one day, I don't know why, Paul decided, let's see what electric sounds like. <laughs> and we had drums, and we had the guitar and they were doing these you know licks and I'm like oh gosh and um and it sound was just bouncing everywhere and I I remember this literally I don't cuss I promise you this out loud (laughs) but I remember sitting there with and I remember thinking what in the is he doing I, I remember just thinking what is, and I, I remember, and I was just so aware, Bob and Betsy are in the back. Oh, this is like, this is like telling them, please don't come here. This is not the church for you. And, um, and so, you know, it, it was, it was just a hopeless cause. And, and I thought, but, but we, we had dinner the next, uh, Thursday and, and, and I'll never forget this. Bob looked at me and he said, 
Well, you know, the worship's a little loud for me. <laughs> but uh, he said, I see those young people, and I want to make a difference. I've got a vision. I want to disciple, and I want to see young men become men of God. When I was a young man in my 20s, somebody got involved in my life and discipled me and personally met with me. And it made all the difference in my spiritual life. And I want to do that in the lives of other people. So if you are open to doing that, I want to be involved. I'll put up with whatever. What a great attitude. He's not sitting around saying, let me find some people like me to sort of socialize and just make sort of a religious social club out of this. He's saying, I want to make a difference. I want to function. I want to be somewhere that needs me, where I can, that, that, that this community needs, and I want to do something. And what a powerful thing. And Paul is saying, this is what we are. We are fitted together to function powerfully and mightily. That's the body of Christ. It is individual, diverse pieces fitted together to function powerfully and mightily. And you and I are part of it. And it is awesome, extremely awesome. And, we, we, and it's, it's just a, a powerful thing. Now, let, me, let me go in here to the last thing here. So we have this idea that we have these, we have a common uniting experience. We've experienced Christ and we are his nation. We are his race. We are his people. And then we also have this common uh, continual uniting experiences of being a church that gathers together. And meets one another and ministers to one another, whether it's, and he lists different things there, encouraging and teaching and serving and giving and all these tremendous things we do when we're united together. But then there's also this other way we're the body of Christ. The, the church used to call its church services. Anybody want to take a wild guess what the church called its first church service? What the word was early on? The Catholic church still uses the word. I'm giving you a good thank you. I'm giving you a lot of hints here, guys. Okay. Yeah, it's this times, okay, gravity equals impact. Mass, yes. Okay, mass, mass. Thank you very much. <laughs> times speed. Okay. Mass. They call it mass. And, and uh, you know, and when we think of mass, we think of the, the Catholic, the ceremonies involved in Catholicism and the Catholic Church. But what the, the mass initially was in the church what the word meant was to be dismissed into a mission. And what they would do at church, they'd gather and they'd worship and they'd hear the word of God and they'd take communion and remind themselves that his body and his blood was here in this planet. God's body and God's blood was here. And through it, we experienced salvation and then they would dismiss. And they would say, go. You be that body. You be that presence where you live, where you work, where you recreate, where you congregate. You be the body of Christ. So you're a college student today and a guy and you're in a fraternity and you're the only Christian in that fraternity, when that fraternity is having its chapter meeting, you know what you literally are in a sense? 
In that setting, you are the body of Christ in an odd sort of way. you got a crazy family, wacky family. When they gather for Thanksgiving and you're the Christian there, at Thanksgiving dinner, you are the body of Christ. At work, with a bunch of wild, crazy people, they're doing all kind of bad. You are God. You are the body of Christ. Where you are, you bring the presence and the power and the truth and the demonstration of Christ. We are Christ's body, not just in this sanctuary on Sunday. We are Christ's body. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, where we live, where we recreate, where we uh, work, where we play, where we go to school. We are his body. We are him there. And it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. This is a wonderful thing that you and I as a church have the opportunity to be, to be the body of Christ, to take our common uniting experience, to make it regularly a continual uniting experience at church on Sunday, at Bible studies and prayer meetings during the week, and then to go and and make it a take that presence to the world we live in, where we live, where we play, where we work, where we recreate, and bring his voice and the salvation he brought uh, to that place. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for what you did when you became human 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. And the salvation you promised in the Old Testament that you would remove our sin forever, forgetting about it forever. And you would take people from all nations and you would bring them together to worship you as, as one body. We thank you that you've done that and we celebrate that today. We thank you that we have experienced that. We pray that we would, this, would not be, this would be something we commit to and we experience continually and something that we also take to the world we live in to make a difference. Father, we just thank you for your presence amongst us and you pray you'd make this truth real in our experience. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.